Hey beautiful soul, this is the Menopause Coach Podcast with me, your host, Adele Johnston. I'm helping you create a vibrant life of joy and happiness without your menopause stealing your personal power and sass. Together, we're making menopause mainstream. I recognized that nutrition was the way to start healing my body because I was in a real mess. I had malnutrition. I'd stopped eating. My gut was a mess. My muscles weren't functioning. I had peripheral neuropathy. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Menopause Coach. It is always a delight to have you follow along and listen to what we are putting out. I have a very special guest joining us this week and super, super honoured that Lindsay Beveridge has said yes to joining us and having a chat with us today. So Lindsay is a registered nutritionist. She's trained in nutrigenomics and as a gut practitioner and she incorporates genetics testing to determine interlinks of nutritional, health and lifestyle requirements. She works with midlife men and women to support their hormones, their gut, cognitive and mental health through nutrition and lifestyle medicine. Her own personal story includes that of overcoming an alcohol addiction, a nicotine addiction and binge eating which led her to have a very special interest in working with people who struggle with alcohol or other substances and behaviours. Lindsay has helped hundreds of people quit drinking and change damaging behaviours and using functional medicine as her approach to understand and support root causes of dis-ease. Working with her clients to discover why we do what we do to manage stress and emotions and working with those clients to change those patterns of behaviours. So now you can understand why I am so excited to get into this episode and have a really good chat with Lindsay today. Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Adele and thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you for saying yes. <laughs> it's amazing, it's amazing. So before we kind of jump into this, because I literally have quite a lot of questions, I would love to just just ease into this topic and it's such a a deep topic that we could probably talk about so many different aspects and elements to this but do you mind me just asking straight off how did you get into this how did you start working in this space i've changed career completely actually so my previously i ran a, a conference and training business and that was all it was hugely stressful and i think it kind of part of why my drinking escalated uh, in my 40s, although I'd always had a, a drinking problem, but it got my drinking got really much worse when I started going through perimenopause, various reasons, you know, stressful job, relationship breakdown, death of my mum, you know, loads of things that we all encounter. And having it, I didn't know anything about the perimenopause. I had no idea what the symptoms to expect or anything like that. Anyway, I, yeah, just started drinking way too much, became physically addicted as well as psychologically addicted. So physically addicted means quite a lot of uh, committed wine drinking went down there. Um, so I was drinking morning, noon and night. Um, when I stopped, I uh, decided to start studying nutrition because I, I recognized that nutrition was the way to start healing my body because I was in a real mess. I had malnutrition. I'd stopped eating. My gut was a mess. My muscles weren't functioning. I had peripheral neuropathy. Um, all kinds of things were going wrong and I knew nutrition was the way. Anyway, so reading a lot, thought I may as well study 
while I'm doing it, then the rest is history. Thank you for being open with us. And, you know, that takes a certain level of vulnerability as well for us to be able to share our stories in this way. And clearly I feel, and I'm sure the listeners as well will feel this, that actually you've probably done a hell of a lot of healing to be able to openly talk about your own journey in this way. I have, and it's it's ongoing actually. And that's part of what I love about the whole sobriety journey is that I just keep learning and keep healing and keep looking back and thinking, okay, this is what happened there. This is where things started going wrong. Getting more of an understanding of myself and understanding of other people as well. I, I think you, you need to develop a level of compassion towards yourself, which you can then extend to other people as well. But it, it's all part of the journey. It's a brilliant one to be on. I would love to, if you feel good about this, I would love to just dive in a little bit more. We mentioned there as you were kind of telling us a little bit around your backstory about how the kind of modern pressures of life, and we find this coming up time and time again, that we aren't prepared for when perimenopause kind of makes that entrance. You know, we don't kind of get that pre-warning of, right, you've hit this age and it's coming your way now because we also appreciate and I'm one of those ladies that perimenopause can enter our lives a little bit earlier than what the kind of benchmark age statistics will say. So for me, I was 36 when I started to notice the changes, 37 for that kind of, I wouldn't say, I don't call it a diagnosis, but certainly that confirmation that it was in fact perimenopause. And I fully appreciate having witnessed my own mum actually turning to wine as her comfort, as her go-to crutch and support in very stressful situations. And actually ahead of us recording this episode, I was chatting to her yesterday about it because it was something that for her, she was struggling with her menopause, not knowingly. So again, she was in this kind of height of perimenopause, not really understanding what was happening to her, dealing with her mum who was very, very unwell with dementia. And um, she did lose my gran through dementia as a result. And again, that led her to go deeper, deeper and deeper into that. So your story is very similar. Although mum wasn't reliant on it in that physical way, it was more of that emotional support. So I suppose I've got this connection to that where when you were sharing that, I'm thinking, yeah, I've, I've seen that. I've witnessed what that's like. But I would be really intrigued if you're open to discussing it on how do we start to, if someone's listening to this right now saying, oh my God, I'm triggered. Like this is me. I'm feeling a little bit seen. How do we even begin to be able to support ourselves in that situation? If we are aware that we're falling back to the wine or whatever the tipple of choice is, what would you advise as that first initial step? I think the first initial step is exactly as you said, identifying that how you are dealing with those emotions or feelings is not a helpful way so that that wine isn't actually doing you any favors. I think that is the, the first step to, to recognize that, to recognize that you are using it as a comfort blanket or as a punctuation at the end of the day in perhaps a way that isn't healthy. And that's the first step really. And that is the biggest step because it is just so ubiquitous. Wine is everywhere. Alcohol is everywhere. We are told to use it as a punctuation at the end of the day. We're told to use it 
uh, as a stress relief to reward ourselves. So it's just recognizing that in the first place. Right away, I've just thought the word reward, absolutely. And especially I find within the British culture, and I'm married to an Irish man, you know, within that kind of culture, we're very much a, if we're in a sorrow state, it's a, let me pour you a stiff drink. If we're in a celebratory, you know, we're celebrating something happening in the family or in our lives, it's the champagne, you know, we connotations with those certain alcohols. And certainly if we go for, you know, a girl's brunch, it's the, will we get a bottle of wine or will we have some cocktails? And it's not that we're demonizing that. So just to caveat this, we're not demonizing that, but you've just hit something right there with me straight away where the word reward almost comes into that. So I think when we've got a clear understanding of how alcohol impacts on our health, I think that maybe will shift our perspective a little bit about whether it is actually a reward. Yeah. Maybe occasionally it is, but on a daily basis or a regular basis, it's it's not a reward because of the damage that it does to our bodies and our brains. It's just it's not worth it really. I don't I don't think. Once you know what it does to you, you can't undo that knowledge. That's a perfect part then. If you are open to sharing some of your knowledge and expertise around what damage does alcohol do to our bodies and brains? The 14 units that most of us laugh at, I mean, I certainly never took them seriously, but it's not an arbitrary amount. They've done a lot of close and careful studies on what amount will do the least amount of damage. And that is, so it's still 14 units a week will still do a bit of damage, but not a, not a huge. And then, and then it's incremental after that. So it starts becoming more and more dangerous depending on how much more you're drinking. And binge drinking is equally as bad. So if you, if you save all of your drinks for the weekend, that is also incredibly damaging. The first thing that it does is depletes nutrients. So our, our key ones, all of the B vitamins, magnesium, zinc, calcium, those of us who are menopausal and worried about osteoporosis, drinking alcohol is going to be depleting those key nutrients that help with our bone formation and looking after our bones. It just doesn't make any sense really to be drinking regularly and worrying about osteoporosis at the same time. So there's that, there's the nutrient depletion. And of course, we need all of those nutrients to function properly. I mean, we kind of lose that connection between why we need to eat. We need to eat so we can function. And if we are taking a toxin that is going to be removing or blocking the absorption of, of those key nutrients, then we are setting ourselves up for, for problems. And we see this, don't we? We see it quite a lot. We see a lot of, we'll not use the word malnourishment because again, it's, it's, it's not as common as we think, but certainly that depletion of core micronutrients as well as those vitamins. Um, I don't know about you, but in the, the space that I'm working in, I see a lot of symptoms that once we start to get the food first approach, so always taking a food first approach through the vitamins and minerals that we can get, and then supplementing as a supplementary to that, we can find that we can absolutely support women's bodies a lot better. It's not an overnight fix. It takes time for that to come through. So nutrition, yes, being one of those key elements and then the lifestyle element that we mentioned that you also look to encourage as well. There's probably a lot of this where, and I would imagine when you're working with individuals who have that reliance upon the alcohol, where I would imagine you go very slowly with them. Yeah, absolutely. And also it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation as well, because some people will be wanting alcohol 
because they have got, for example, a neurotransmitter imbalance, say very low GABA levels, they want to use alcohol to calm themselves down or their serotonin levels are low and they want to give themselves a lift or their dopamine levels are low and they want to increase it. So ideally to start working on, on that, why people are wanting a drink, because we want to drink to change the way we feel. So it's understanding what is driving that. And quite often that is down to nutrient depletion already. So whether it's genetic or whether it's diet related or whether it's due to poor gut health or overexposure to toxins, there can be various reasons, but it's sort of looking at those underlying systems mm-hmm. and then trying to make people feel better so that then they, w- they won't want to self-medicate. Just, you know, I'm nodding away. If you could see me now and you're listening to this, I'm nodding away because Absolutely. It's that self-medication, isn't it? It's that that concept of if we can find the root, the kind of front-facing reasons, might not be one, you know, and reasons could be that we've got a really stressful career or job that we're involved in. We might then have caring duties, whether that be for children or, or elderly parents or family members. You know, we might have some financial difficulties that are happening a lot of these things all coming together. And as women, we tend to spin a lot of plates in one go. So we can find that we become very pressurized, very kind of, you know, everything's just building up. And rather than appreciating that we've got these other, um, let's just say tools in the toolbox is how I like to refer to it, as being able to maybe, you know, journal out how we're feeling, connect with ourselves a bit more. We tend to have lost that in the build-up to perimenopause. And when we hit perimenopause, we're then facing an extra plate that we're spinning. Do you find that that's something you come across as well? Absolutely. I mean, we get to a point where we just can't actually physically deal with so much stress anymore. We just can't do it. And then if people are using alcohol to make themselves feel better, which it does very much immediately. Everyone knows when you have that first drink, it's like, oh, what a relief. It does, it, it does make us feel better. But then what that actually does is it increases our cortisol levels and our adrenaline levels. So it's adding to our stress load, even though the initial feeling is, is one of relief. So yeah, so it is absolutely all these, all these stresses that our, our bodies physically can't cope with anymore because of the various changes going on within our endocrine system, things can feel unmanageable if we're not looking after ourselves and taking time out to de-stress in ways that aren't damaging. Anybody that works with me, we've got this two, well, there's two non-negotiables. One of them is steps for health every day. So we want to get outside in the fresh air, even if it's just for 10 minutes, we want to get that movement and we want to get that fresh air for our gut and for our mental health. And the second non-negotiable is self-cares every day. It can be five minutes or it could be five hours or anything in between. But doing something that brings us great joy and happiness. You know, this could be if you're artistic, really honing in on that, remembering back to what really brought you that inner happiness. And that's important. Or it could be a bubble bath with, you know, chilled out jazz music and candles. But that's probably something where you've then mentioned about this, taking time to connect with ourselves So this is probably quite a big question, but how would you recommend starting that? If someone is listening to this right now thinking, I'm resonating with everything that Lindsay's saying, 
you know, I'm, I'm listening, I'm hearing what you're saying about the damaging effects that it cause, causes to the body at a cellular level, but also in that emotional sense. What could be an immediate first step? And I know you've said at the start, well, just being aware of it, being aware that you're utilising and, and turning to alcohol as a crutch. What would be the first step to then maybe seeking some further assistance or help with that? Keeping a diary so that you're noticing just over a week of when you drink and why, and then start thinking quite carefully about what you could introduce at those times. So say you are drinking every day to punctuate the end of the the working day, what can you do instead? And to ideally choose things that, that are going to increase your dopamine levels. So exercise, for example, so go for a walk instead of coming home from work, or if you're working from home, closing down your computer and pouring yourself a drink, get outside and go for a walk. So, you know, everything that you've, that you know, those two central tenets that you talk about in your program, those are so absolutely key to when we are stopping drinking as well or, or cutting down. So it's noticing first and then doing things, replacing those habits so that gradually your neural pathways will change. And they will only change if you're doing it regularly. So it needs to be as regular as you possibly can. Mm. Come in the front door, put your bag down, get your dog or your husband or whatever it's going to be, or phone a mate or put a podcast on and step out the door again. Don't go to the fridge. If it's out with friends, if that is your big problem, the binge drinking, offer to drive or avoid social situations for a while while you are trying to put things in place to look after your health. So it doesn't have to be a long-term thing of sense of denial but you know you just to get to that point where you are more in control of the habit i was listening actually to something this morning about habits and how to really define what a habit is we've got all of this out there that people will say you know you need to do 21 days or 31 days or 60 days and it can just get a bit overwhelming for people but ultimately a habit is something that we develop over continuum time of repeating a process so that the body does it automatically. So if we think about what that means, it's similar to we all have habits that as soon as we wake up, so we waken in the morning, we get out of bed the same way. We probably have the same routine. So for me, it's I do a bit of gratitude. As soon as I wake up, the first thing I do is I will say out loud, I am so grateful my eyes have opened today and I've got another day ahead. And it just connects me in with just that gratitude of having another day. And then getting up, I then go into the shower and do my morning affirmations. So this for me was something that really changed my own self-belief and confidence when perimenopause took that away from me. Um, I walked away from a 20 odd year career because of perimenopause and very fortunately, three years ago, found this space in menopause care, working with a lot of beautiful women. And the affirmations helped me. The affirmations that I'll use are are things like, I am powerful, I am loved, I am strong, I am worthy. And just as I'm showering, that's just my daily thing. So every day it's the same thing. So this has become my habit. I don't have to think about it. It's just something that comes, you know, and it's it's nice. That's almost where what you've said, where this makes this relevant, is what you've said there around. The first step is actually noticing that you are pouring the wine or grabbing the bottle of beer or whatever your choice of alcohol or substance is that you're you're looking to then turn to to punctuate the end of the day or the situation. 
with the second step then being you know maybe journal on that or keep a diary of what is potentially triggering that and why you're turning to it so that's kind of like that deep inner work isn't it of connecting with the emotions the psychology elements of well what has happened to cause that reaction and that response whether it be mindful pouring the wine through choice or mindless where it's become that habit I'm in the door I'm straight to the fridge and then this the third thing you've said then is around that disruptor finding a disruptor to have to stop you from habiting into the kitchen to pour the drink so those are powerful steps and and you know not dissimilar to what we would say even for um again you talked about overcoming binge eating this is another powerful step again nothing's different here right that you wouldn't you wouldn't change anything there so it's powerful being able to then have the control and that ultimately is what i believe it comes down to would you agree with that it is absolutely and but you know once you've kept a diary and you can see what times you're having when you start thinking about that drink then you can start if you're keeping a food diary at the same time you can connect it to whether it's low low blood sugar, whether that's causing the cravings. So it's the same as with binge eating as well. What are the emotions behind it? Is it something as easily fixable as making sure that you're eating, you know, throughout the day and keeping your blood sugar, blood sugar levels balanced, or do you need to go a bit deeper than that? Um, so it, that is just, it is just doing the groundwork initially, not just waking up by morning and say, I'm not going to drink and then not putting things in place, because that is kind of setting yourself up to fail, usually. I mean, some people manage it, but it usually it's just kind of, you know, white knuckling it. But there are lots of things that you can put in place to make it easier. It's probably one of these situations where we all have things in life that we turn to for comfort. And this is certainly something that I talk a lot with with my ladies and ladies that, that drop into emails or DMs as well, is that we can be so hard on ourselves, really hard. You know, we judge ourselves, we create this bubble of shame and feeling ashamed when we don't manage to do something 100%. So what you've just said there around, you know, that white knuckling or we call it cold turkey in Scotland, where we just stop something and we're like, I'm not doing this again. I actually deter my ladies from ever saying, I will 100% of the time only do this or I will make sure that none of the days this week I have anything to drink. This is where I would then be going back to them saying, well, look, let's just aim for 70 or 80% of the time and see how that feels. So that we've not got this added pressure of, oh my God, I've had the drink, now I've failed. Is this the right approach? Would you agree with that approach? Or do you feel that it needs to be a little bit more structured than that? It depends on the person's relationship with their, with alcohol, to be honest. I mean, for, for someone like me who was physically and psychologically addicted, I had to stop completely. Mm -hmm. um, there was no messing about with it because I was so ill from it. So yeah. it very much depends. But if you are drinking maybe 30 units a week, whatever, which is not an unusual amount, it's, it's actually a very common amount for people to be drinking, then you can take that approach because you don't have, you're not addicted. You can then have an occasional drink and it's not going to throw you completely off course. So yeah, have the occasional drink. Think about how it made you feel. Did it improve the social situation? Did it make it lovely? Sometimes it will. Sometimes it won't. 
and don't judge. Such an easier said than done though, isn't it? I think we all do fall into that self-judgment. It probably also brings up this element of in that social circle, we do feel very judged and we do feel that we have to be self-explanatory when we turn up to an occasion and we are the designated driver. We've made that choice for our health, for example. But there's that added peer pressure, isn't there, around, well, just have one, you know, just come and celebrate. We need to have one to do that. And it can become come quite challenging at times to be the person that's a, no, no, I'll just have the Diet Coke or the bottle of water. It is challenging. It's thankfully becoming easier than when I've stopped because mm. a lot more people are aware of how much worse it can make you feel in peri and menopause. So it's a good enough reason to not be drinking. So no, it makes my menopause symptoms terrible. I'm not drinking. That's mm. a good enough reason. You can use fear of breast cancer because that is also, it's a very valid reason. But just simply that it makes you feel rubbish is a good enough one. There is judgment around it. People more often than not, those ones who are questioning your choice not to drink are usually wondering about their own relationship with alcohol as well. So it can often open up a conversation, but um, I think it's always a good idea just to, you know, just stick to your guns. You feel better when you don't. That's so powerful the way you've just said that. Literally so powerful. It made my shiver down my spine because we do. And and as a mum, so I've got two young 11-year-old twin daughters. And this is where, you know, we've very much, we don't actually drink a lot in our household. Um, we introduced them. They've te- they've tried beer. They've tried wine. You know, we've offered them to have some at dinner times when we've had a nice bottle, when we've been out. Um, but they're not interested. And I think back to my childhood where I was that binge drinker, not fully understanding how alcohol should have been maybe been utilised in my life or should not have. Fast forward to perimenopause and it does not serve me or my body or my mental health. So understanding that there may be occasions where I want the G&T because it's a beautiful Scottish summer's day, which is super rare. And I want the G&T with all the pretty berries in there. But I'm normally always one or two now, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. and those clients of mine who do choose to drink occasionally, they will go to an occasion and they will think, they, they will make a decision. They will know that it'll make them feel rubbish the next day, but they might think it's going to be worth it, and that's fine. When it's a choice, like you, like you said earlier, whether it's a mindful choice or a mindless choice, it's a big, that's a big, big part of it. So if, if you are mindfully choosing to drink, knowing that you will be a bit hungover the next day, but you feel that it's the occasion is worth it, then go for it. And again, don't feel any guilt around it. Living life on your terms truly, right? Yeah. I mean, I could literally talk to you all day right now, but I'm super conscious that we've already talked for quite a period. Um, is there anything else that you feel right now would really add value to the listener? If they have really resonated with this, they're maybe thinking to themselves, gosh, like, this is me. Like, I... This has really woken something up inside me. I feel slightly triggered. You know, I'm maybe a bit resistant to what I do next. Where can that person find you? You can find me on Instagram under Recovery Nutrition or my website, which is recovery-nutrition.co.uk. On my website, there's a self-directed course that you can do about nutrition to support going alcohol-free, which gives you a lot of tips and tools, and especially around the nutrition and gut healing 
side of things and balancing neurotransmitters. And definitely sign up for Lindsay's newsletter because she sends out the most amazing updates in there, packed full of really core valuable information. So go ahead and do that over on her website. I will pop all of the show notes linked all in there for you. So you just need to head to the show notes. You can click on the links and we will take you straight to Lindsay's Instagram and straight to her website. So you can get signed up to that amazing newsletter. Lindsay, it has been an absolute honor and a pleasure to be able to speak with you and hear about your own inspiring stories as well. We get this one body our whole lifetime. And this is where a big value of mine is about how we spend our life currency because that life currency, that time that we have on this beautiful earth is limited. We don't know how long we've got. So it's about making full use of that life currency, knowing that we can't negotiate more. We can't buy more. We all have a certain amount. It's not infinite. So super powerful what you shared today. I think if one person listens to this and it changes their life, then I am super grateful and humbled that you have dedicated your time and knowledge to this today. So thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. I truly hope this episode has sparked something vibrant inside of you. I ask only one thing. To help keep these episodes coming, please subscribe and share with another in your life. That's how we reach more women worldwide and we help them step into their power. Because together, we are working to remove any of the stigma and taboo that surrounds menopause. This does not need to be a daunting, a scary, a taboo time in anyone's life. So, together, let's make menopause mainstream.